This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. Family Sundays, Pastor David mentioned, uh, can be memorable at times, especially when my three kids who are seated on the front row are here for both services. And nine o'clock started and um, there were not a whole lot of people here at 9 a.m. As the service went on, it did uh, fill up nicely. But at the beginning of service, my eight year old Luke, he said, Dad, where is everybody? I said, son, it's a holiday weekend. And he said, well, is everybody on vacation? I went, yes. And he said, why aren't we on vacation? I was just thinking the same thing before he asked me that. Might have been a great week for that. And then there was something at the end of our first service. uh, My wife led worship. She was the beautiful lady on the keyboard. And there is just an instinct a mom has that no one else has. And and what I saw from my six-year-old, I'll never forget this as long as I live. It just happened an hour ago. Beth is worshiping the Lord with her right arm in the air. Lincoln is standing next to her. Somehow an object was was dropped and it kind of rolled here to the front. And I'm kidding. I'm not lying. I don't know how she did this with one hand in the air and her eyes closed. Lincoln takes a step forward and she just reaches up and grabs the kid's shirt tail. So from the side, I see Beth worshiping the Lord, this poor kid trying to walk forward. And that is just a mental picture. I will never forget the rest of my life. So just a few moments ago, we we're in worship. I just got to continue the theme here. And I'm just in the presence of God, just you know, feeling God so strong. I feel a little tap on my, on my arm and Luke points. And I see at the end of the road just two little white tube socks in the air. Some of you over here saw this. And, and Lincoln's two feet were in the air and his head was in the ground. The first service, I'd tried to have them just sit really nice like every pastor child should. But by the second service, I'd given up hope. So I grab them and I pick them up and I ask him, son, what was going on? And he said, I tried a trick, but it didn't work out. <laughs> so, yeah, such is family Sunday in the presence of the Lord. And he's trying out tricks. So, so it is. Let me ask you a hypothetical question. If during this service... Taylor Swift attended this service. How would we react? Now, that's not too much of a hypothetical question because she does live here in Hendersonville. But I would just imagine there would be a buzz. There would be a sense of excitement that someone with that type of notoriety came to our service. A few years ago, I heard the story secondhand, but there was a man who started a church... And to supplement his income, he cleaned homes of very famous movie stars uh, or famous people. And one of them was a famous movie star. But I told, told you her name right now. Every single one of you would know the name of this particular movie star. And he was cleaning her home. And about ten years ago, they, they engaged in conversation one day. She asked him what he did. He said, I'm a pastor. And she said something to this nature. She said, well, I would enjoy visiting your church sometime. And his response, and I don't say this judgmentally because I don't know if I would have responded any better or appropriately. I hope I would have. But he said just instinctively, he said, well, you can't do that. He said, if you came, everybody couldn't stop staring at you. 
Now, since that time, I've thought about that story several times. Because there is some truth to that. It would be exciting to have a famous movie star here. But here in James chapter 2, James is telling the church that we should have a different type of attitude towards all people. We're in the middle of a series called Under the Radar. We're talking about sins we don't always easily identify. Sins that we don't easily recognize. Today, I want to talk to you about the sin of favoritism. Favoritism. And here in James chapter 2, he gives instruction and then he gives a scenario in the first century that is no different than something that could happen in 2010 right here at the church at Indian Lake. Let's start reading verse 1 together. It says this, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ... Don't show favoritism. That is the crux of the sermon. That is the point in verse one. So that he goes on to number two, excuse me, chapter two, verse two. He says, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, You stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom? He promised those who loved him, love him six. But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law, I want you to think about that term and just at least mentally underline the term royal law found in scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin. Let's pause there for a second. That is The sermon there. He's addressing specifically Christians. He's talking to the church. And look at that statement there in verse 9. If you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So now here the passage, he changes tones a little bit and he points out this. He says, if you show favoritism, that's a sin. Now here are the implications of this. That if you break one part of the law, if you show favoritism, which I'm going to tell you right now, I've shown favoritism before. I want to tell you that all in the church, throughout the church, there's favoritism that happens. It happens with church boards. It happens with church planning boards. It happens in every arena of the church. So favoritism's a sin. We have a tendency, our natural tendency is to show favoritism. So he's already said here, now that we've established it's a sin in verse 10, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point. I want you to understand what the the meaning of this passage. This passage is always taking us back to the cross. You see, the word always takes us back to Jesus. If you sin at just one point, this very common transgression that I'm going to suggest we all make 
Showing favoritism. If you sin at just one point, you have broken, you're guilty of breaking all of it. Verse 11. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. And if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you become a lawbreaker. Either way. Verse 12. Speak and act at those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because the, the judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, when I read the Bible, the book of James is one of the first books I ever read. It's a great book. And at first read, James 2, 1 through 13, was not that exciting of a read. Maybe some of you are saying, this is not that exciting of a passage. Stick with me for a second, because there are some truths that are in here that are huge and they have huge implications and in a few minutes we're going to take communion together as a church body and God is taking us to the communion table so that we can recognize the greatness that we're all going to participate in somewhere probably in the 1960s somebody made a hamburger and it wasn't just any hamburger it was better than any fast food hamburger that had ever been made. This hamburger was so great in the eyes of whoever made this that they decided to come up with a name for the hamburger. You may have heard of it. The Burger King. Meaning that this was the royalty of all burgers. So that whenever you pass a place called the Burger King, you would think, I'm about to eat a burger unlike any other burger I've ever had. I've had Burger King before, and I have not eaten a Burger King in years and years. But still, to the Burger King, they are the king of all burgers. I say all of this is because, here's the first thing I want you to write down, is that we need to understand that God calls us to live by something called the royal law. The royal law. This is real important because you can read the book of James and just kind of glance over, okay, the royal law. And almost not even digest that there is such a thing. What was the writer trying to say when he said, we're called to live according to the royal law? He's saying that there is a law that is above every other law. It's the king of laws. It is royalty. It is supreme. It's the best law ever given. And it was first given in Leviticus chapter 19. In verse 20, 26, I believe, and it says this, 18. It says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is the royal law. It's the supreme law. In fact, here, here's the issue. If you can live by this law, the royal law, it's going to take care of all the other laws against people. If you are able to treat others the way you want to be treated, as long as you have a healthy perspective of yourself and that whole deal, then you're not going to sin against people. And that's what God has called you and I to live, live by. We have a lot of kids in here. Some of you have heard it as the golden rule. think we need to live by the golden rule more, doing to others as you want them to do unto you. 
Here it is, the royal law. God has called us to live by the royal law. And the whole time, some of us are, are so concerned about other things, like what's God's will for my life, and what's my destiny, and what's my spiritual gift inventory, and what kind of gifts have I developed, that you haven't even seen that the first things first, the supreme law, the first thing you need to do is treat other people the right way. Treat other people the way you want to be treated. And here it is, that right in the middle of the house of God, right in the middle of probably a synagogue, because this was written to Jews and it was a first New Testament writing. Favoritism was being shown. If someone that would come in that was, that was well-dressed, someone who had a lot of money, they would get all the special treatment. They would get all the accolades. And those who were poor, those who didn't dress as well, those who didn't have the kind of persona that they should, were treated and, and not treated equally with those who received the favoritism. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we had Ed Stetzer come speak here. And as I told you then, for those of us who are pastors, he's a really big deal. One of the things that Ed does is after he visits a church, he has thousands of people who follow his blog, and he'll blog about that church. And so he did so for us. And incidentally, it was a very positive blog. He talked a, a lot about how we took communion off the tables and our, our children's area, uh, how nice it was. And it was a very fine blog. Uh, great ex- national exposure for our, our church. Leading up to the Sunday that Ed preached, I had this temptation because I knew what he does and I knew what he would do. And there was just something in me that wanted to, to call our greeters and call our communication center people and call our ushers and say, let's step it up this week. I mean, let's really be on time. Make sure all the children workers are there. I want to make sure, of course, this is never an issue, but make sure the church was extra clean and extra nice and everything was good and that worship was just, just on top of things. And I had this urge throughout the week to start engaging in those type of conversations. And then I realized something. This is no disrespect to Ed Stetzer. But he's the least important visitor that will come to our church this year. Because number one, I know that he's saved. Number two, I know he's not looking to attend a church. And isn't it somehow how we self-deceive ourselves? We get all concerned and worried about people with earthly prestige and titles and thousands of Twitter followers. Oh, we need to do good for them. The whole time we don't realize that every single person that walks on this campus is valuable to God. And especially those who don't know the Lord. They ought to be honored. We ought to do our best. Whatever assignment God's given you in this church, you ought to not be on time. You ought to be early. You ought to be at your station. You ought to be prepared to reach out to somebody. We ought to have excellence in every single thing we do. Have our children's ministry fully staffed. Be ready to go. Why? Not because we're trying to impress somebody who might blog about us, but because every single person is valuable to God. Every single person matters. And the idea here is this. It's not that if someone prestigious or famous would come to our church that we'd be like, oh, we're going to follow Scripture. I'm not going to say hi to that person and, and, and degrade them or, or ignore them. No, that's not the point. The point is every single person in our presence, because of how valuable they are to God, we ought to treat 
with high esteem. We ought to honor them. We ought to treat them as if we would want to be treated. Do you know that the Bible says that in order to follow Christ, that you have to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow Him? Can I tell you one of the hardest, one of the hardest things to do in the church, taking up your cross, is to leave the conversation with the person you've been in church with for five years, the person you're in 242 group with, and go meet someone who no one else is talking to. That was one of my ministries all through high school. That, uh, I was at a large youth group. And I would do that. I would go and I would go and meet different people who weren't coming to church. And, and I'm just saying this to God's glory that as the years went on, you would not believe how many people would say that the first time I ever came to this youth group, Aaron, you greeted me and that made a huge difference. You understand how important that is? Because have you ever been to, have you been to a church when no one said hi to you? Not cool. Do unto others as you want to be done unto you. Have you ever been stranded by the side of the road and everybody's just zooming by you? Not fun. Do unto others as you would like them to do unto you. Have you ever been discovered that someone's talking bad about you and they're maliciously gossiping and they're judging your motives? Does not feel good. Do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. This is deep spiritual stuff. Do you understand that? I mean, this is, this is the deep stuff of the Lord right now because we don't apply it to our lives. This is everything. The God says the royal law is supreme. And if you break the royal law, you break the whole law. So there's two points being made here. There's one, quit showing favoritism. It's a sin. But now let's talk about the effects of favoritism. My basketball career ended at about the ninth grade of high school. I'm going to tell you a story of, of why it probably ended. Uh, we were coming to the end of a game. At the end of this game, uh, the clock was winding down. The game was tied. I get the ball. And it, I look, and all of a sudden, it was like the Red Sea parted right in front of me. I don't know what happened, but there was this wide open lane straight to the basket. I had the ball, wide open lane. I said, it's time for me to go make the winning layup. Started dribbling towards the basketball, and I don't want to brag, but I looked smooth. And I was, I was going down the lane, and time just kind of stood still. And, and I started moving in slow motion. I could see out of the corner of my eyes all my classmates, my family. I was ready to make the winning shot. So I'm coming towards the, gla- the, the basket, and for some unknown reason, I decide to close my eyes going up for the layup. And instead of just laying it gently in, I do some kind of double pump thing like that and keep running. And I never saw what happened, but evidently I did not even get close to the basket. My coach ran over and he had, a, he had some paper in his hand and he just started hitting me on the back of the shoulder with his paper. I mean, it was that bad. And there it was, for some reason, I didn't get as much playing time the rest of the year. Now, that's one scenario. The game-winning shot wasn't even close. For what I was told, like I said, I had my eyes closed. It was ugly, not graceful at all. A few months ago, national championship game. Butler versus Duke. Hayward, incredible athlete, takes the basket. He weaves his way to about half court. And he just launches this beautiful shot through the air. I mean, this shot is flowing through the air, and it just is gorgeous. It hits the backboard, literally goes in 
the basket. It would have been the most amazing shot in the history of college basketball. It's in the hoop. And then it falls out. And that's exactly what everyone did. The whole arena gasped. All of America gasped. Now, here are two different shots. One by me that was ungraceful, goofy, and really dumb. One by this amazing athlete, Hayward, that was beautiful, majestic, unbelievable. But they both had the same results. They both missed the mark. They both fell short. And here is what James is trying to communicate. He said, listen, you have favoritism. You have favoritism. Every single one of you has participated in the sin of favoritism because of your sinful nature. You've missed the mark. And that is the same as breaking the entire law. Here's the second thing you can write down is this. Favoritism breaks the royal law. You, when you break it, you totally miss out. You become a complete transgressor. And I think that we get so sophisticated about our sins. We categorize them, and some of them are really bad sins, but we have socially acceptable sins that really just float beneath the radar. But in the eyes of God, we are complete transgressors. We are in complete need of redemption. We're completely sinful. And that's what this passage is trying to point out to us. Yeah, you, the, the royal law, the greatest law, don't show favoritism. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Every single one of you have broken that. And because of that, you have murdered and you have committed adultery. Because if you break one part of the law, you break it all. It's either perfection or nothing. It's either 100% holiness or 100% uh, de- degeneration. That you're, you're not holy before God. 100% sin. That's the two options. And that's exactly what God is trying to say. That's why the third and the final thing I want you to say, I want you to write down is this. Breaking the royal law offends God. Breaking the royal law offends God. Did you see what the passage said? It said, favoritism is a sin. It's a sin that I have participated in. It's a sin that the church leadership here has participated in. Because why? It's in our human nature. And that's why we need a different types of nature. We need the nature of God. We need a supernatural nature. We need a supernatural cleansing. You see, everything points us back to the cross of Christ, back to our sinfulness. Not that we say, well, not that we don't have behavior modification and say, yeah, we need to adjust habits and we need to, to change a culture of a church and we need to make sure we're not showing favoritism. But at the end, we go back to where the sinful nature of our hearts are and we say that is why we need Jesus and that's exactly why we're going to take communion today because every single one of us you are not going to leave this place a sinner you're not going to leave this place uh, marked by sin you know this sermon is not to say to you guys oh you've shown favoritism you guys stink that's not the point of this sermon. It's to say, yeah, you've shown favoritism. I've shown favoritism. And that's why here on this, this, this uh, Sunday morning, we're here to go back to the cross and go back to the Lord and to say, God, I need your cleansing power in my life. I'm going to ask our ushers to go ahead and position themselves because in a couple of minutes, you're going to have a chance to make things completely right with God.
This has been a Church at Indian Lake podcast. Be sure to check out IndianLakeChurch.com for all updated news and information. 